Today's passage is Hebrews 11, 17 to 22. It is page 1008 in your pew Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's word. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This is God's word. Good morning. Again, welcome to Calvary Memorial Church. Keep your Bibles open to uh, Hebrews 11. Before we get going this morning, I just wanted to kind of reiterate um, the opportunity that Jonathan Benegas uh, presented us to have a partnership with Young Life in Barcelona. Um, I don't know if you're aware, um, but Barcelona happens to be the home, as Doral would say, right, of the world's greatest football club. So, yes, a lot of opportunity presented to us with that. So I feel like if we don't get um, enough families to host these kids, it's like saying, like, you're not following Jesus or soccer. And so they're two bad things to not like, all right? So we really got to make this work next summer. Um, yeah, I guess Robert Burdett, one of our missionaries, who's a Liverpool fan, he didn't like me sharing that last hour. It's okay. It's okay. We'll still support him. Anyways, um, getting into Hebrews chapter 11. Um, we're continuing on in our series in Hebrews that we started earlier this spring and um, continuing to look at the chapter of faith that has been referred to, Hebrews chapter 11. As I've been reflecting on it, I've realized as chapter 11, one of the most natural parts of our human life is the desire and longing for a world that is fixed. As we experience the world around us, it does not take us too long to understand and see the thorough brokenness of our world. We see it all over the place, not least because of the advancement of technology, to be aware of news. We, so we see it in the world around us. We see it in our own neighborhoods and communities. And perhaps most poignantly, we, we see it in ourselves, if we're honest. When we, and yet when we see and experience the effect of sin and death in our world, I believe we are brought to a place of longing for something great for longing for something greater in our world. There's actually another man that had a similar longing that wrote a song. You may have heard of him before, the late John Lennon. 
he wrote a song called Imagine. He said, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living and living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Again, he says, you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Now, we can look at a song like that that's expressing a desire for the world to be fixed and say, well, that doesn't mess with Christianity and it's an anti-Christian and religious song. Fair enough. Or we can look at it as a fellow human being longing for some of the things we long for. John Lennon genuinely wrestling with a world that he longed for of peace and joy. Yes, his imagined world is left, unfortunately, to the fate of us, which is not super thrilling, given the little bit of history we have as human beings. Instead, we want to imagine a God who would assume flesh to bring about something greater in this world. But nevertheless, I find it fascinating to not just look at that as an anti-Christian song, but to, to look at that song as another human being who has similar longings as I have, longing for the world to be fixed. Some of us may feel we are in tune with that longing, and some of us may not feel in tune with that longing. Some of you may feel that you're not in tune with this desire we have for the world to be fixed. Perhaps it sounds like a bunch of philosophers and a bunch of waste of time for those who are idealists. Or perhaps you may think your life is too busy in the present to really reflect on the future. Or maybe you think your past is just too problematic to think about the future. Or you may be very in tune to this longing for the world to be fixed. Maybe your day-to-day -day experience is met with so many unmet expectations and maybe even tragedies. And you feel that your longing for the world to be fixed is just the air you breathe due to your life, situations, and circumstances. Either way, I assure you, whether you feel in tune to it or not, part of the kit that comes with being human is to desire and long for the world to be fixed. There is something in us that looks back to Eden and hopes something similar can still be experienced. I assure you, with this desire, it can happen in the very normal everyday lives, expressed in every, everyday lives. We express this desire actually more than just sitting on our porch and reflecting on the hard questions of life. 
It can also happen in just very simple day-to-day tasks as we look to create good in the world or are simply trying to bring order to our lives and our homes, create joy, simple efforts to help and serve others, or simple efforts to extend love to someone. These are all expressions of a longing for a better situation. Or on the opposite side, we can experience it in day-to-day, as I've already said, when we have missed expectations when we realize things just are not going the way we wanted or hoped for. But these are all day-to-day experiences and expressions that we have in us, that we wake up with and go to sleep with as we long, as we look at the world around us and long for a day when God will fulfill all of his promises to bring a new creation I've shared this before in other sermons. My father died when I was 19 years old. When I was 19 and I first heard about his passing, my initial thoughts and feelings at the time, of course, were just simply sorrow and grief and pain. But as time went on, almost uh, 20 years later, I do not have the same kind of day-to-day and same pointed and sharp grief I had in that moment. But I regularly feel that going through early marriage and parenting was wrong without a father to talk with. The death of my father has made me aware of the longing I have for a fixed world, a world where children or adult children even do not lose parents. I have created in me this understanding that the loss of my father, though yes, was a loss, was actually making me aware and opening me to a larger longings that I had, even beyond him. We recognize our longings for something greater when we're in tune to this longing that we have in each and every one of us. We actually find ourselves in pretty good company. We find ourselves in solidarity with those who lived by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. I believe this is the thrust of the experience of all the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, at one level, all the individuals of Hebrews chapter 11 can feel completely distant from us, and that's if they're in another world and clearly another time. But the reality is they were in and situated in our world, the same air we breathe the same complexities and dilemmas we face of the impending reality of death. And so we are in solidarity with them as we hold out for something greater. That is what Abraham was holding out for, was something greater than what his day-to-day experience was communicating to him. I initially stated that one of our most natural parts of our human life is the desire and longing for a world that is fixed. And this too was the case for those who lived by faith in Hebrews 11. 
And not only was it their experience, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, in their longing for something to be greater in our world, allowed and it situated their faith. Faith came to life and to birth through their longing. There's something about something greater being held out in the future that orients us to faith. And so we're going to see that particularly this morning through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph as was read for us just a few moments ago. Two things I want to think about as it relates to the reality, and just grant it to me for now so I can finish the sermon, even if you disagree. But grant to me that human beings all long for a greater world, a world to be fixed. If you grant that to me, Think of these two situations then. One, when our longing and God's promise match. And that holds out so much hope for us, right? When we realize that our longings for the world to be fixed match God's promise that he will restore the entire created order, and we feel hope in that. But imagine another situation. Imagine when our longings for the world to be fixed and God's promises to fix the world do not match our present situation. Those are the two lenses through which I want to look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. So first of all, when our longings are in harmony with God's promises, Last week, we looked at, Pastor John brought us through Hebrews 11, 8 through 16, and he used this phrase, which I think is actually perfectly in line with what we're continuing to see in, in Hebrews. He called it a holy discontentment. You remember that? A sense of discontentment that's actually good in some ways, and I feel like that is this longing. And we see that in Abraham from last week's text, when we look at verses 9 and 10. If you have your Bibles, I'll look at 9 and 10. By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And what, was, what motivated him to stay living in tents instead of trying to build a fortified city? He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking for something else that God was holding out for him. And then you see at the end of our text from last week in verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. Abraham, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is what Abraham was longing for. God's promise to Abraham that he was going to create a city in which he would fix the world's problems. And that matched up with his longings. He longed for that to happen. That was part of the motivation for him to leave his home and his country and to follow God's promises because God was holding out for something greater for him. The longings 
that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph had was consistent with the promises God gave them and their family. God has wired in us the same longing for something greater, a longing for a world in which God and all creation live in perfect harmony. Again, God's promise to Abraham was consistent with Abraham's desire. And so in faith, Abraham was able to obey whatever God asked of him. In God's earliest promises, though, to Abraham, we see this promise in Genesis chapter 12. God promises to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And what's the scope of these promises that God makes to Abraham very early on in Genesis 12? The scope of the promises that God made to Abraham was more than just to have a big family and a nice property. The scope of what God was pointing to, these very early, and we could say at this point unclear, fully, not fully clear promises that God made to Abraham, but the scope of it was beyond just Abraham having a big family and a nice land. The scope, the lens, the goal at which God's promises were heading was that every family of the earth would be blessed and that God would actually restore the entire creation. This is the trajectory of God's promise in this very simple phrase, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this becomes the lens through which to read the entire rest of Scripture. In this seed of a promise that all the families of the earth will be blessed through the line of Abraham. This has a massive scope as the story of Scripture continues. You can sum up the story of Scripture in a very simple way to say that God is going to restore the entire creation through Abraham's family. This is the foundational promise that Abraham at some level was aware of. At some level was aware that there is a creator God if, that if he could create and the creation goes wrong that he can recreate or that he can bring back to life what he once gave life to. This promise was everything for Abraham. On what foundation did he have, did he believe that God's promises would match his longings? Well, looking at verse, back at verse 3. The writer of Hebrews says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word, of power, the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What Abraham, what gave Abraham hope that God could do what he promised was that God was the one true living creator God. It's that simple. He believed that since God was the creator God, he could fulfill his promises. We see this this testimony of God being, the God of Scripture being the one true living creator God, also in Nehemiah. It says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, 
the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the hosts of heaven worship you. At the at last book of the Bible, Revelation, we have a song, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So according to Abraham, even though after the first couple pages of the Bible where all is good and well, and then it goes bad very quickly, even though Abraham was uh, living out the story of how bad the world was getting, and everything he could see around was continued death, he believed that if God, the simple truth, that if God made the world, then no matter how bad it has gotten, he can remake the world. This simple truth was the core of what Abraham believed when God said to him, I am going to make all the families of the earth blessed through you. And Abraham was able to say, of course you are. Of course you can, because you made the world, and surely you are the one that can fix it. This is... The problem with John Lennon's song is that the foundation and the root of the world being fixed is left to us, not the longing for the world to be fixed. Instead, we need to look to the one true creator God to fix the world. This was the foundation for Abraham and his ability to live by faith. The present problem and the future promise was the place, the birthplace of faith. If God created the world and all that we see, then surely he can recreate and make new this death-filled world we still live in. The same death-filled world that Abraham lived in. And this logic will be crucial as we look at how Abraham was able to continue obeying the promises of God and the commands of God. But now looking so, so far, we see that the promises of God match our longings, and that is, gives us much hope. But what happens when we hit bumps along the road and our longings for the world to be fixed and God's promise to fix the world do not match our present reality? Then what? What do we do when these two realities do not match? So far, I've stated that part, as a review, that part of the human being, the human experience, comes with a longing for the world that we live in and wake up in and go to sleep in every single day to be fixed and to be restored. That sounds fine. Then I said, these longings are consistent with what God has promised to do to fix the world. All continues to be great. So far, so good. Except when we, what we do surely does not seem to match our everyday experience. When God doesn't seem to be fulfilling his promises and our timing, or maybe even at all. Are these promises still good? Can we still trust God to make good on his promise to restore all creation? Let's look quickly at the life of Abraham again. 
We saw there in verse 17 as read for us, this was the dilemma. This was Abraham's dilemma in our current text. As I stated earlier, God made a promise to Abraham that through his family, he would provide a way for all the families of the earth to be blessed. One major problem, though, at least as Abraham was 99 years old, and that is that him and his wife Sarah still had not been able to have a child at respectively 100 years old and 90 years old. But as we know, God miraculously enabled Abraham and Sarah in their old age to have a son. They named this son Isaac. This son Isaac was then to be the one through whom God was going to continue to make good on his promise. But if Isaac is not in existence, how can the promises of God even go on beyond his initial few years of the promise? Is the promise going to be over if they don't have a child? Then we know they have a child. But then, everything seems to be on track. Abraham has a son, Isaac. But then God tells Abraham to do something very, very strange. He tells him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. It seems like a horrific request. And so Abraham, in seeking to obey God, takes Isaac off to be sacrificed. Now imagine for a moment being Abraham. Talk about when God's promises do not match up with present longings or present realities. How could God ask Abraham to offer Isaac when the future promises are rooted in Isaac's continuing the line of Abraham? God had already miraculously overcome Sarah's inability to have a child, but now that he's asking him to sacrifice. How is the promise of God to restore the world in the way he said he would, how can that actually come about without Isaac? See, the dilemma for Abraham was more than just actually the life of Isaac. The dilemma for Abraham was that without Isaac, the whole future of a possibly fixed world was at stake. We'll come back to that. One of the things we see, this dilemma of death being presented with each and every one of them as they continue to write, the writer continues here in Hebrews, because we see the same thing if you, Isaac, it says Isaac, if you read the blessing he gave to Jacob and Esau in Genesis 27, talks about his being old in age and his eyes dim, nearing death. We see the, again, the writer of Hebrews specifically refers to it now when he talks about Jacob. He says, Jacob, uh, when dying, or Joseph, at the end of his life, was able to ask for things because of what he had faith in. But one of the consistent dilemmas there, one of the predominant themes for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is the present reality of death. Abraham was being asked to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac in his old age and dim eyes. Jacob referred, was referred to as when dying. And Joseph was referred to at the end of his life. 
Surely all of them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, had to wrestle with the hard question of longings unmet and God's promises unmet. What do they do with that? How is Abraham able to continue on in obedience with all of these unmet realities, unmet longings, and unmet promises? You may be asking at this point, what is faith? And this is where faith comes in. We often understand this story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac as a, a way of thinking about, or a type, a way of thinking about God's reality of sacrificing his son, Jesus. And thematically, it is not hard to see how, as theologians, we have made that connection. Yet that is not precisely how the writer of Hebrews is using it in this way, in this story. He focuses on the story of Abraham and Isaac was Abraham's confidence in God's ability to raise Isaac from the dead. The point of this story was that Abraham had confidence that if God was able to bring life to Isaac initially, then he could bring back Isaac from the dead. And you see hints of that even in the story, if you go back and read it, that when Abraham talks to Isaac and he's saying, where's the sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide. There was a sense in which the only way that I, Abraham was able to continue in obedience to God was because he saw something in the future, that he trusted that God was going to make good on his promises to fix the world. And in order to fix the world, Isaac had to stay alive or at least be brought back from the dead. This is profound faith that God created and will create. Faith that God gave Isaac life and will bring back Isaac from the dead. This is the future orientation, as Pastor Gerald referred to two weeks ago when we started Hebrews 11. His first point was three points about faith, and the first one is that faith is future-oriented. Faith, the birthplace of faith, comes in the moment of our present disappointments with our own selves and the world around us and our sin and our brokenness and also the projection of God's ability and promise to fix it all. And within that context, faith is birthed. As we see the story continue, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph had to go to their grave still trusting that God was going to make good on his promises. It wasn't as if the story ended well for them. They had to experience the curse of death. But even to their very death, they held out that God was going to make good on his promise. And as we see the story continue throughout the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot of hope moving forward. We see this constant up and down of God's people failing, but God recommitting himself to his promises, to his original promise. And that promise comes into a clear, crystal, and fleshed reality through Jesus of Nazareth, as the gospel writers would have us know, from the line of Abraham. 
It is in Jesus that God once and for all cements his commitment to restore the entire created world. And all who by faith are united to Jesus are a part of this narrative. This story of God fixing our world is our story as we're united to Jesus by faith. Some of you here this morning may have been following Jesus for as maybe, let's say, as long as you can remember. But hard times have come your way. As we know with the writer of Hebrews from Hebrews 11, we don't have what this, this irony between these people being honored for their faith, but then go back to Genesis and read the whole story about them. Right? They have plenty of failures. But faith is was their driving force in defining who they were, even in the midst of their failures. And they continued to trust. So as you think about your own perseverance, don't just try to conjure up within yourself a stronger faith as if you have something within in you that can just be strong enough to believe. Look to God's promises in the future. Or maybe you're here this morning and the whole Jesus story and story of Scripture is confusing to you. May I compel you to think that the hope, while we resonate, and, and I can resonate genuinely with John Lennon's longing for a fixed world, there'd be nothing worse than to have that hope only being able to be fulfilled based on our efforts. We have proven, and history has proven, that we can't. But through Jesus of Nazareth, who is the fulfillment of Abraham's promises to fix the world. Through Jesus, by faith, we are united to him. And Jesus will return in flesh, still in flesh, to bring about the new creation. And so I entrust you this day to believe and follow him, come what may. We're going to close with a song. Usually we sing together in a closing song. Today we're just going to have a song to reflect upon that we'll have played for us. I want to read the lyrics for you. I believe this is the Christian, hope-filled way of thinking about John Lennon's desires. O day of peace, that dimly shines. There is the contradiction right there, right? The day of peace that is promised to us, but in the present, dimly shines. Through all our hopes and prayers and dreams, guide us to justice, truth, and love, delivered from our selfish schemes. May swords of hate fall from our hands our hearts from envy find release till by God's grace our warring world shall see Christ's promised reign of peace. Then shall the wolf dwell with the lamb, nor shall the fierce devour the small. As beasts and cattle calmly graze, 
a little child shall lead them all. Then enemies shall learn to love. All creatures find their true accord. The hope of peace shall be fulfilled, for all the earth shall know the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I don't know, obviously, where everyone is coming from today. But I pray that each and every person, no matter what trials or tribulations or joys they're coming with this morning, would you create in all of us trust and faith that you will make good on all your promises, even in the midst of our sinfulness, our wickedness, our brokenness. And so, Father, we return to you in faith, trusting that you will make good on all your promises, even the oldest promises that you have made. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.